Okay, here we are. Uh, other, I guess our first episode, Corey, welcome back next week, a week later. Our first episode was kind of based off of who we are, but let's actually jump into what we decided what we wanted to make this all about. Are you ready, Joe? Uh, you know what? Believe it or not, I, I think about our opportunity to talk about something where, that I'm passionate and I know I can, I sense your passion and enthusiasm. Yeah, shoot, I'm ready, man. I have a hard time sleeping the night before because I get a chance to talk to, um, about trees. It's exciting. Thanks, Joe. So, yeah. So I wanted to start off with, because discovering forestries, forestries, and we're going to talk about urban forest versus a natural forest later, but I wanted to, um, I wanted to start tonight off asking you the question, if I was at, say I was sitting at a seminar and someone came up and said, hey, Corey, what is the definition of a tree? What would oh, you Joe, say? Oh, Joe, that's a good one. I, and, I, and I think I have gotten that one before. Um, I would say the definition, without, without using the Google or the Bing or the Ask Jeeves, if you remember that search engine, um, I would say a tree is a living, woody perennial. And then you know how deep do you want to go how's that you know you, you hit on a lot of them perennials one and i think perennials important because it is a plant um the definition um maybe a little bit more uh a stretched out is a long-lived perennial with the woody stem so it makes it different than a shrub and everything else is its woody mass so, um, nice job. Yeah, it's, you know, I think it's important to understand um, exactly what a tree is because in future episodes of this podcast, we're going to talk about issues and problems with trees. And another thing that's important is understanding, and you may run into this, and I'll, I'd like to get your opinion on it, that it was really it was mind-boggling, or not mind-boggling, I should, revolutionary when I realized, and I took this into my day-to-day -day practice, is that it's a living organism. Oh, Joe, you, you hit it on the head, because I think whether you're in the tree industry or not, I think we have this tendency to just go, ah, yeah, look at the trees, beautiful, you know, but without, to your point, without knowing and without taking and respecting what that living organism has to do on a day-to-day, -day, I think that that puts it into a whole nother category. Yeah, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna really um, test your memory back to your uh, UW Stephen Point days on some anatomy and physiology in it a little bit. Of trees? Uh, on trees. Oh, okay, okay. But uh, I, um, obviously with the history and my love of trees, I've always been interested. You know, we know it's a long-lived um, perennial with a woody stem, but I was amazed when you dig a little deeper on what a tree is. Um, I dug all the way back to 1648. Wow. So think of that, 1648. Wow. And there was a scientist, uh, Jean Baptist Van Helmont was his name in 1648, was responsible for. Um, discovering truly what is the mass of a tree 
So he, what he did is he did a, um, he did a science and he weighed, he, he got a pot of soil, planted a willow tree in it, and he grew it for five years. And then he separated the soil from the willow tree. And in that soil, which, which is, if you're a tree dork like me, this is just mind blowing. So in five years, that plant grew to 167 wow. pounds. Weighed the soil. And the pot in the soil had only lost almost 60 grams of weight. Whoa. Where does a tree come from? And it's going to get into when we talk about anatomy physiology that we're going to connect these dots for everybody tonight. Uh, where, do, where does a tree come from? What, it's yeah. a living organism. So just to start you off, so I want you to kind of cover the roots, the shoots, the trees, and some anatomy and some of the, the common uh, physiological processes like uh, transpirational pull and you know photosynthesis and just the sure. basics tonight. But a tree is mostly almost 95% is made up of air. Mm -hmm. So a tree is made of air, but how can air weigh 167 pounds? Um, what's the number one gas that's in air that we breathe? Hydrogen. Nope. Carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide. That is the building block of a tree carbon. Mm. So a tree is a carbon-based living organism and it's a, and it, it'll, it kind of sets you up to when we talk about some of the processes in a tree, um, how a tree grows. This tree actually grows out of, out of the air. And uh, I, I, I think about this and I'm like, I, I just, I get excited to tell people about this because we look at it and even guys that have been in the industry as long as we have, we, we lose sight of what a tree is and what it's doing. And it's um, so, I would love for you to kind of, you know, grassroots for today. Well, jump into some, some cool things about anatomy, physiology on a tree that uh, uh, come, come to your mind right now talking about that this is made up of air. You know, how can it be there? Yeah, how, how can it be there? And um, what you'd said with the soil and how the weight of the soil only went down by a couple of grams is remarkable. So how are trees... Where are they getting the nutrients from, right? How much are they actually pulling out of the air? Something that I'd like to talk about, because this is something that's, that's fresh on my mind from a conversation today in Utah. Uh, we were talking about transpiration. So out, out here, one of the common trends in the West is to do winter watering, especially on evergreens, and especially on transplanted trees and shrubs, because they they transpire they give off moisture right whenever that they're also giving us our oxygen that we breathe and the remarkable thing that folks need to realize is that say it's a spruce or a fir a pine tree um, they're always giving off a little bit of moisture with all the oxygen that they're also giving off so what happens when you get into some, some growing conditions that we have out here is say it doesn't snow or rain for a couple months. And that's, that's not unheard of or uncommon out here, but that tree still needs to transpire. 
So that's when you start to see, uh, especially a couple weeks later, you know, think three, four weeks later, those trees start to kind of yellow out and they dry out. So really big right now, a Christmas tree. Why do we put water on the bottom of a Christmas tree? Right? A lot of, yeah. a lot of people don't think, of the, well, it prevents from drying out. So here's the thing. Say you cut down your Christmas tree right now and you didn't put any water in it. Chances are, you know, two, three weeks go by and it's going to look just fine, right? But when you get to that fourth, fifth week, especially if it's in the sun or getting some air movement around it, it's going to dry out and crisp up. Why is that? It, you, you know, what's pretty amazing is you're absolutely right. Uh, depending on even, if, in, you know, obviously you're taking that inside the house, right. the Christmas tree, which is a great time because the holiday's coming. How you have to put a gallon of water in that six seven foot tree your house every day and it's all part of what a tree naturally would do in, in the environment so You're the right. tree that's awesome up water it's transpiring or it's giving off water at the same time and this is what this is what so joe you had that aha moment when um you know somebody uh, i think it was a teacher science teacher was talking to you about it being a living organism but one of the things that that really hit me over the back of the head was when you think about it and think about that living, it's a living organism. It's an autotroph, a living organism that makes its own food. So <laughs> something in the industry right now uh, that a lot of folks do is, well, we're going to go out there. We're going to feed the tree. As an arborist, how do you feel about that? Uh, you know, it's, it's potato, potato to sure. me. It's a, it's, a, it's a term that maybe the general public can, can relate to, but we know that's not exactly what we're doing. Right. But if it gets, it, if it gets the point across to the, to the site in the tree that you're going to be applying this compound to, I don't care what you yeah. call it. It was funny is that um, recently um, at, at work, one of the uh, tech managers was writing up a report in the uh, – he put, make sure you feed the tree. And I'm like, as professionals, should we say it? When teaching, I don't know. It's Joe, a slippery slope. It is, it is a slippery slope. I mean, I think if you're talking, if you're talking to the public or maybe the homeowner, and, and just like you said, I mean, they can relate to that, right? We're feeding the tree. We're giving the tree nutrients. Um, but, you know, as an arborist and, a, you know, tree physiologist to some respect that, that uh, you and I are, um, you know, we're making it available to the tree. The tree through, you know, through photosynthesis. Um, so through the production of chlorophyll, which is going to process the sunlight, then it combines the water and all the nutrients. Through that, it's feeding itself. But as, as, as applicators and as arborists and, and tree folks, all, all we're really doing is helping supply some additional nutrients to the tree because the tree won't even get all of its nutrients out of the soil if I'm, if I'm, Remembering correctly, Joe. Well, obviously, right, right plant, right spot. Obviously, that's where soil sampling comes in, and that's a great. That's going to be. That's a huge, uh, not a pet peeve of mine, but a, I, I love the soil sciences, mm -hmm. and I've been very fortunate through the years to get more involved in. And we're gonna. That's going to be a great topic one night for us to talk about soil below grade. But what's amazing about when we talk about putting a a, a, a tree fertility. We're talking about your micro macronutrients. You're talking about your NPK, which most fertilizers are. And um, I'll let you elaborate with NPK. But 
we're putting chelated products in the soil that are readily available to the tree that the tree yeah. needs. Most soils have that there, but it's not available to the tree. So in an urban setting, which we're going to cover urban and uh, an urban setting versus a forest setting uh, in a little bit, we have to give the tree what it needs to, to be able to complete some of the processes that you're going to talk about. So is it, is it feeding uh, to a degree, I, uh, readily available, uh, soluble minerals in a liquid right. state? I don't know how dorky you want to get, but um, I guess we're feeding it. I don't know. Yeah, we put nutrient content out there. Uh, sure. Hey, if, 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 if you need to sell it or conceptualize as what we're doing is feeding a tree, take it and run. Um, like you said yeah i don't i don't think you bash i don't think you i don't think you draw your line in the no sand on that. no and you'll never you'll never hear you or myself correct uh, in an end user one of our one of our clients on on that either because if that's how you conceptualize oh it no. you know that just just a grateful that you're thinking and you're knowing that the tree needs some additional nutrient content that it can't get from the soil that it's in correct that's awesome yeah. So, uh, yeah, so, but, but some of the nutrient content, uh, let's just cover that NPK. So that, that's something that we talk about in every, every aspect, every division of forestry, and even the garden scene, everybody talks about your NPK. So when, when Joe says that, what he's referring to is nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. That's your NPK. So those are the macronutrients. Those are what uh, the plant requires more of in order to live and so something yep. as long as we're talking about npk uh, something that we talk about out here as a nutrient that the tree is not getting enough of and this is very very common in less developed soils um, or high ph soils is is iron so iron is a micro correct so yes. iron's a micronutrient but the thing that that folks don't don't realize all the time is is that nutrient isn't always available to the plant so joe was talking about different chelates that the plant can actually use and pull up but oftentimes what happens is the ph in the soil is elevated so say you're in say you're in an urban setting in downtown denver your ph is 8.4 if if you pull up the nutrient availability uh, what is it the nutrient availability chart um it'll it'll pop up and you can actually look and look down that list and go, wow, 8.4. If you look at 8.4, what you'll find out is that iron, manganese, and boron aren't available to the plant. So it's not that it's not there, it's not in the soil. It's just the pH is so high that the plant can't pull it up. So as, as an effect, what'll happen when one of these plants does not get those um, necessary nutrients, what'll happen is it'll become chlorotic or it'll lack chlorophyll. So think back to high school, uh, you know, biology, what does chlorophyll do? <laughs> Some people right now, their eyes are glazing over and they're, they're remembering a happy Gilmore quote. <laughs> I thought it was the exact same. I got chlorophyll, you mean borophyll. I know what I was actually thinking in my head laughing. I'm, I'm not the no, I, thought I of think that. it's an Adam Sandler movie. But yeah, you mean chlorophyll. So um, let's think about what chlorophyll does in the plant is that helps in photosynthesis. That helps the plant make its food. 
So it's all tied together, friends. It's, it's fascinating stuff. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's, you're right. It is amazing. And it's all tied up. You talked about pH and availability of micro and macro. Um, it's, it's, it's amazing. But what's amazing is that we talked about, you talked, you brushed about the NPK, which is phenomenal. You, you, you brushed on um, pH, which are, are basic um, components of soil. Again, I don't want to get into soil too much because I don't want to steal from our next, <laughs> our next soil uh, discussion, but got healthy soil, healthy, healthy tree, healthy plant, healthy turf. And like you said, um, right tree, right you site. Know, you put in right tree, right site. Certain trees have certain requirements and we end up putting trees in the wrong spot. And then we end up having to put them on life support right. all their lives. Um, another important thing is that, you know, maybe you can cover on is the, the CEC. Um, having organic matter and having those exit dates and having the micro uh, biology and soil that breaks down parent material to be available to the plant. And it all ties with um, pH and organic 100%. matter and soil. So friends, when Joe says CEC, he's referring to, I believe, the cation exchange capacity. And what that is, without, without Googling it, it just, you know, having, having fun reminiscing over the days. But uh, the cation exchange capacity is basically the soil's ability to hold and release nutrients based on their charge. And what Joe was talking about with having soils that have more organic matter or clay in them, those have a higher cation exchange capacity. So they can hold and give off nutrients a lot better than if you had like a sandy or a gravelly soil where it would just leach right through. Exactly. Um, that's what's amazing about trees is that, you know, we look at this and as, a, again, we'll, we'll wrap up with urban and, and forestry and uh, natural forestry is that as an arborist, that's one of our responsibilities is that we get called on a situation where and I've been traveled, not since um, uh, the, the, the COVID, but I've been called around the country to go look at trees and try to figure oh, yeah. things out to help uh, our customers out to figure out why is this tree declining? They thought it was A, they thought it was B. And then, I, you know, I maybe, I don't know, maybe I got a more simplistic view of arbor culture with a deep scientific background, but I kind of get it. I kind of get it. Did you check this? Oh my God, I didn't. Well, you got to start from the ground up and work your way up and figure out what's Joe, going on this tree. We should, and I'm making a note of this right now. We should have an episode on the diagnostic checklist because I know you and I probably approach it pretty similarly, but the wealth of knowledge that you've got to have from your forty-something uh, uh, more years of experience, I mean, that's got to be be worth something. So I'm, I'm going to make a, a note of that once so that we can discuss that in a future episode. Yeah, I, I yeah, it was a, it's a bit amazing. Um, again, I maybe that's why I love the industry so much is that I get it. I just I know it, everybody's got something that clicks, you know. So I'm I, I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, any, anything. Uh, yeah, but yeah, but you know, and and again, everybody out there listening, if you got if something that Corey and I talk about triggers uh, a an idea or I mean, let us know, you know, we're, we're going to go where you want to go. 
um, I love history and believe me, I'll, I'll keep, I'll keep going that way because I just want, just real quickly, I just got this, the care of ornamental trees and shrub book gave to me by a very dear friend, October, 1942. Oh. You guys can't see it on the podcast, but if you, you tune in when you get a chance on our, our YouTube, um, and I just started to dig through this and this is through the extension service of Mississippi State College. Good school. Um, yeah, you know, and that's that's kind of kind of we're going to segue into forest, urban forest, um, because I don't want. I, I've been very fortunate to work with the university uh, uh, or Michigan State University, the forestry uh, department. Uh, great school, great people. Um, hopefully, uh, we'll get some people like Dr. Deb McCullough on yeah. as a guest one night. Um, but I got very involved with the Michigan State Forestry Club, and I want to get um, uh, you know some of the the past uh, participants in the Forestry Club that are now working with the U.S. Forest Service to get their view on how do we work closer together. Uh, I gave, uh, like I said, Kara, our, our our producer, uh, has a clip with a great interview I did this summer with one of the. Uh, MSU Forestry Club, uh, past presidents who is now a um, a forester for the U.S. Forest oh, cool. Service in Idaho, and I was giving her a, a hard time thinking, are there trees in Idaho? I, I didn't, I, I didn't know because I'm oh, thinking yeah. potatoes, no, Idaho. There, I, there are Joe. There but, there are trees in Idaho. And she's uh, you know, and, and then you dig. What a beautiful yeah. state. It's well amazing. and. To segue um, in Idaho, for those who haven't who haven't been yet, we I mean we could spend a day just talking about the soil in Idaho. Why you know why potatoes why potatoes grow there in the first place, um, and that has that has to do with uh, Oregon Trail. But why they grow so well there? Uh, what a lot of people don't know about Idaho who haven't been is that soil uh, is is at least in some parts really well drained. Um, because it's uh, most recently, if anybody's heard of Craters of the Moon, L- look it up. It, it's uh, it's pretty interesting stuff, actually. But but the soil is just perfect for growing potatoes. Just absolutely perfect. It, it, it segues what we said a minute ago. Right plant, right That's spot. It. Perfect, right soil for the right spot. So that I, I hope that as we go through tonight, it all starts to click that you know things that we have to look at why this tree does well here why this tree doesn't well do well there is there something that we can do um to maintain that tree or again it'll be another when we start doing like a maybe a tree risk assessment uh segment when do we got to say goodbye when is the time to draw the line and um throw in the towel per se right and why, Joe, why do you think, what, how would you define the difference between the urban forest and the natural forest? What are some variables and key distinctions that, that, that come to mind, at least on your end, as we're trying to tie this all together? You know, I, obviously, I, I, I wrote down my, my definitions. Um, so I'm going to flip back to my notes real quick, because I, I, this is important, because, again, we go back to what we were saying earlier in forestry or urban forestry, we're talking about trees. Right. We're talking about trees, but we have to understand where these trees are. 
Um, forestry is the science or practice of planting, managing, and caring for forests. So, all right, what's a forest? We, 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 I guess we know what a forest is versus an urban forest, but do we? Do we know where the, there's, there's not a definite line once you get out into the suburbs where a forest starts and an urban forest ends. Exactly. What's that interface, Joe? I, 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 someone probably does. That's Call probably in, let us know. Hey, let but, us know if you do know. Yeah. But I think there may be a good definition of the, of the differentiation between an urban and a forest. I call it a natural forest to kind of make it easier. Traditional forest, um, a dirt forest. You know, there's all kinds of acronyms. You know, I, dirt forest means you're humping out there and you don't see people from hundreds of miles. Um, but a forest, uh, the definition for a forest is a large area. Um, mainly with trees and undergrowth. Can you have that in an urban landscape? Oh, man, maybe on a smaller scale. So that goes back to what's the fine line? Where's, yeah. where's a forest and urban forest separate? But I think I found it when you start looking at an urban forest. When you look at an orb, urban forest in urban forestry, urban forestry is the care and management of single trees and the protection or the propagation in urban or, the, or to the pre-population urban settings. So it has to do when a tree is in direct contact with man or woman. Man. I don't want to be, yeah. I didn't mean man as human, human. Man. I mean, human, human. Yeah. Um, so when a tree comes in contact with us, it becomes an urban forest, right. which could be, um, that grow within a city, town, or a suburb. So there's a lot of similar um, areas or lines that draw, but when you look at the, the 30,000 foot view, the way that the U.S. Forest Service manages a track of land versus the way you and I, who are traditional urban foresters, right. is a lot different. Yeah. We may be called on a single tree mm -hmm. in, in a, a sentimental tree in somebody's front yard that that is your main focus. And in forestry, they're talking about hundreds of acres, hundreds, thousands of acres, mm. 40 acres. Um, it, it could be anything that's just a forested setting, but... I think that when it comes down to urban forestry, we, it, it comes down to human interaction and a more sentimental, aesthetic view yeah. of those trees. Joe, I think, I think you're spot on. I think, I think that that's, a, that's definitely the direction that when we think collectively, we think of, of urban forests, that's what we think of. And I think another thing worth noting is in an urban forest, we're oftentimes we're dealing with a number of different factors, okay, uh, than what we would be in a traditional forest. So typically, you know, poor compacted soils, more pollution, right, soils with higher pH because you have, uh, you have the, the breakdown of the impervious surfaces, which would be like your parking lots and sidewalks. Joe, you got the human interface like you were talking about. 
So all of a sudden, you've got you've got the human and you've got the tree interface, and we're we've all been in business, we've all worked for small businesses, or still do. Uh, you can get lawsuits. You probably more frequently in in an urban forest than not. Well, I I I, I sometimes I joke about who really effed up. And I used F'd up is because this is the family show. Um, this whole thing, and it, it, it literally, it goes back to Charles Darwin and S.S. Beagle. Are you at, was it, was it the Beagle, his ship? Yeah. Where he went around in the early 1800s, he went around and collected plants and spread the plants from continent to continent. And um, we, we don't practice enough right tree right spot um and after 40 years of uh uh, experience and don't get me wrong i love cutting a tree down if the tree's got to come down i love the chainsaw still and we're going to have a lot of topics a lot of time with chainsaws in our hand and uh, over the time these podcasts but um it's below grade it's soil it's soil it's soil um, you talked about urban soil. It's crap. We scrape the topsoil. We compact it. We throw some more topsoil down after we screen it. It takes a thousand years to create an inch of topsoil. And we can, we can really mess it up in an urban landscape within days. That whole ecology, the whole biome. Um, and there's a lot of times we just can't repair it. It's it's beyond our lifetime yeah and the trees joe that were that we you know that would be growing in these soils over many lifetimes over many millennia thousands of years they've adapted to that specific soil again a living organism that's trying to every day this is another like ta-da moment that every day that tree is trying to survive and I don't want to put it too heavy, but it's no different than you and I. Every day we have to survive. We have to get up. We have to eat. We have to drink. And we have to rest. And Trees have to do the exact same you thing. Said, hey, you, whether they're in an urban setting or a forested setting, they have to do the same thing. And like, like us, you know, um, I'm sure that in the future, near future, we're going to talk about... Um, I think it's one of our on our list of talking about uh, the state of the industry now with a a, a virus. Right. Trees deal with viruses and diseases and insects on a day to day basis. Show. So I would never ever um, compare the life of a, a human to a tree, but we can learn a lot from it, if that makes sense. Without, with, to be neutral, um, there's a, it's a living organism that has to survive. Every yeah, day. no, no different. Um, how how they do survive is a little different, and we will talk about that, especially around, uh, you know, code it and all that. We will talk about that, Joe. I'm excited for that episode. Yeah, compartmentalization of decay in right. trees. Uh, to, to make a happy note, I actually have one of the original shigometers from Alex. No Shiger. kidding. You've got yeah. to, you, you've yeah. met the guy? 
Uh, yes, I met him when I was very young. Wow. Uh, his daughter is still on the circuit. I don't know if you met his daughter yet. No, no, not. Amazing. And I was talking to her at, um, and, and I'll talk about ISA. ISA is actually coming up. Uh, ISA has to go virtual. Uh, the conference. Their ISA conference. annual convention, which is, it's a bummer. Yeah. It's a family event. It's a, a great thing, but. I've met Alex Shigo's daughter a few times there. And then I was talking to her about the history of arboriculture and that I have a couple of the Shigamers and she actually sent me some parts and she sent me some of the, the manuals that was missing from. The oh books. my gosh. Is that going into the, uh, the museum, Joe? Yeah. In another, um, there was two versions of it. There was an analog gauge. And if you guys don't know what the Shigometer is, uh, there's a lot of great, tools out there now is as, as arbor culture and just uh, forestry evolves uh, there's a lot of ways to detect decay in trees which yeah go ahead yeah go ahead. no and, and i think it's important for folks to know quick just just when joe and i are referencing uh shigo so alex shigo i i he's not the the father of american forestry of course that's gifford pinchot uh, but what Alex Shigo is, is he, he really pioneered the urban forestry and tree physiology. So in university, I remember the two books that, that we had to read from, uh, from Alex Shigo. One was Modern Arboriculture. And uh, if my memory serves me correctly, it's actually his hand on the cover um, touching the bark of a tree. The other one for, for folks who are working towards their ISA certification, their um, International Society of Arboriculture certification, is actually called Modern Arboriculture by Alex Shigo. And it's, it's a green cover and it's got, it's got the deciduous canopy in the background and then kind of in the foreground, it's got the outline of a coniferous uh, looking tree. So when Joe and I reference yeah. Shigo, he, he really is the guy who's uh, made, made strives. Um, would have been what, Joe, the 80s, 70s, 80s? 60s, 70s, 80s. He was about ready to retire in his 90s when we lost wow. him. Wow. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. incredible. Yeah, I was looking up, I got those books. And um, another one that was a, a mainstay of mine is the New Tree Biology. Where was, and he was a big picture guy, which I loved his books. And there's a lot of pictures. And he drew a lot of them too, didn't he? Um, in the early days, yeah. yeah. But it, it goes all back to anatomy, physiology, what happens to a tree, when do you cut it down, when do you not do, what do you do? Um, and it's amazing. It's, it, and it was amazing at the research that he's done. And I, I believe that when we lost Alex Shigo, and it was a, it was a very unfortunate situation, um, like losing any pioneer that was a pivotal in arbor culture yeah. that Kevin Smith took his seat and still does a lot of great research on um, with the U.S. Forest Service today. Big shoes to fill. Big shoes to fill, Joe. Yeah. And again, it goes back to the history and uh, we're, we're, we're in an industry, Corey, that's still evolving. Oh, and that's the exciting thing. You know, there are some fundamental things and some of the fundamental principles that you and I have talked about. We've based our careers off of, but look at how much different the game is now and just our understanding is now. And how do we, how do we continue to, to, to learn and to push that envelope 
but also to raise the bar, Joe, for the industry and just get people aware, educate. And we're learning. You and I are learning every day. Well, I, I love the learning it. I love putting the new equipment on. Yeah. Um, if I was to ask you, you know, as we, you know, we've been, I, I, I love talking about this and we could talk all night long. If I was to ask you, Corey, what was the main difference after we talked about forestry and urban forestry, what's the main difference between the two that most people should be aware of? What is the biggest difference between urban forestry and forestry that comes to your mind? Right tree, right site, start with the soil. <laughs> In a sentence, that's, that's, what I would, that's what I would go with, Joe. What about, now let me pick your brain now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to poke the bear. Um, what about how we take care of them? You know what? That, how much time do we have left for the podcast? Uh, well, that's what I mean. I uh, says, how do you, there's a difference. So we, so folks need to understand, pardon me, my, my understanding uh, for, for how we, how we manage these, these two different forests is, is differently and how the forest would naturally manage itself is differently. I think we manage the urban forest as we've defined it and discussed it earlier. Um, I think we manage the urban forest primarily or have in the past primarily for human needs. Is that the direction you were I, going? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep not nudging you because I know you. We've talked about this. The biggest, here's my biggest, my biggest difference. Um, climbing, aerial arborist versus a terrestrial arborist. In arbor culture, we have two facets of arbor culture. Either you're a climber doing big things with rigging and dynamic removals with uh, cranes to eliminate damage to the structure um, versus forestry, we can notch and, notch and fell. I, I almost said notch and flop, but I don't want to be disrespectful, but. Yeah, um, strategically placed on the ground. Yeah, strategically. <laughs> um, there's a lot of similarity with, with equipment saws. But other than that, our urban forestry is off the ground. You have, a, you know, what, now, now does, it, does it change your thought on the difference? Ah. Uh, you know, it's a comprehensive view of all that, Joe. I mean, the best, the best foresters, the best arborists are ones that can apply it and put it all together, right? And I'm not saying oh, I'm the best by any means. I'm not saying I'm the best by any oh, means. Shoot, I'm not even the best. You know, I'm not yeah. the best. I, 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 I want to interview, you know, through the years, some of the greatest guys that I've seen off ground. And I want to see some of the, the most scientific guys that just, just got it. Um, but I think the biggest difference is that we have to work around on our day-to-day -day basis. We have to work around hazards. Yes. And I'm not just talking dwellings. I'm talking about energy, mm -hmm. um, structure, energy, um, man, roadway, yep. human targets. Um, the weather. You look at it. Weather. You know, um, Going out into my 200 acres up north after a, after a wet snowfall in the spring is just as 
I, I, I just grab the chainsaw on the back of the rhino. I drive out there. I put my chainsaw practice equipment on and I just cut firewood. Yeah. Now you get into an urban situation. Now you're talking about all the utility companies coming in. There's a big, there's a big production of energy power, power lines go down. And I'll say right now, God bless the, the, the arborists that work on energy claims. Oh, yes. You know, take everything that we have to do and then put these 40 kilowatt high voltage lines in between them and their job. I, I, I thank you. God bless them. Yeah. No, they, they, they truly are, as most, uh, as most arborists are, blue, blue collar heroes, the, the ones that have that ability to detach from the danger element, uh, but be aware of it and do their job safely. I mean, hands down, one of the most technical, you've got to be on point every minute of the day for that job. So thank you. I'm with you hundred percent, Joe. Yeah. And um, let's end on a positive. Um, again, I love what I do and I love the opportunity forestry, urban forestry, uh, there are differences. We both are very, very fortunate in our lives to work with trees for a living. Yeah. Um, there was a couple of years ago, the um, the publisher of ISA it, uh, it had a great statement that it's not very often where you really get to do something on a day-to-day -day basis that really makes a difference to the world. Mm -hmm. And I think as an arborist, we're saving the world one tree at a time. As a forester, we're saving the world a thousand trees at a time. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm very proud to be part of it. And uh, I hope everybody else out there is listening is can sense that. Joe, I'm, I'm with you hundred percent. And as you were literally, as you were saying that I had a, a little epiphany on my own end is that every time an urban forester, somebody practicing arboriculture in the urban setting, every time we're touching or training or subordinating branches or doing root collar excavations, every single time we're touching that tree, we're, we're encouraging that tree to have a healthier life, hopefully. And we're preserving that tree for Joe a hundred years into the future. Think and about I don't, I don't know if you get choked up, but like I said, I mean, I was very fortunate to get asked to go down and look at a, a, the third largest Norway spruce in Ohio and help one of our colleagues out with a, um, a Veterans Day memorial to that tree. And um, we got to use some of the compounds that you and I every day get to try to develop to make the world a better place. Yeah. And uh, I was very proud to do some soil remediation and uh, then they played taps, and uh, I guess again, I'm a I'm a, I'm a, uh, a United States Marine, and you hear taps under a historic tree on a historic cemetery. It was, I, I a little misty. It was a little misty, yeah. but um, I get I, I I get to love what I get to do on a day to day basis on safe stuff like that. And that's that's the power of trees, Joe, and that's the power of forestry and tying the picture together. So, Joe, thank you for doing what you do for your service, for your ongoing service. Arborists, foresters, tree care providers out there, thank you for doing what you guys are doing. We really appreciate it, and we hope to see you soon. So tune in for the next episode. We'll talk soon.
Yeah, thanks for wrapping it up, brother. Hey, great topic today. Yes, yeah, so lots of good information. Yeah, probably one of our best yet. If you enjoyed the podcast or have topics you would like to discuss, please send them to discoveringforestry at gmail.com. And please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. Thanks, guys, uh, for tuning in. Until next time, I'm Joe. And I'm Corey. Signing, Signing out. out.